hey everybody welcome into that's the truth podcast i am excited to have you back for a much anticipated guest episode i am jay gallegos and my goal is to help you get one step closer and further along in becoming who god has intended you to be one step at a time so you can be effective and make an impact in every area of your life i want to thank once again everyone who has subscribed and has shared the podcast on social media thank you so much for that it truly means the world to me as it really helps extend our reach. We welcome and invite others to join the community. We want to help and inspire as many people as we can. Subscribe if you have not already and get notified when we drop a new episode. And as you know, if you have been following along, we post a new episode bi-weekly, a teaching the first Friday of the month, followed by a guest episode like today, later in the month. And well, it is always a special episode when we get the opportunity to talk with a guest. And today I'm excited to bring to you the amazing conversation I had with none other than Jordan P. Fry. He is a student pastor at First Pentecostal Church of Anderson in Anderson, Indiana. He and his wife are serving and leading together exceptionally well there at FPC. He recently launched his new book, called The Church That Caesar Couldn't Shut Down, How Paul Prepared the Church in Philippi to Stand Against the Attacks of the Antichrist. It is available now, and you can place your order today from his website via the link in the description. Also in the description, you'll find links where you can connect with Jordan. And so, without further ado, it is a pleasure to invite you into my conversation with Jordan Fry. Brother Jordan, it's so good to have you on the podcast. We've been looking forward to speaking with you. Very, very exciting leading up to this. Uh, welcome to the podcast. Man, thank you so much. It's so good to finally get to talk to you over the phone. I know we've sent some messages back and forth, but man, I'm excited to spend a little time talking with you tonight. Yeah, absolutely. And we've been very, very excited, looking forward to this, leading up to this, because you just you wrote a book recently, The Church That Caesar Couldn't Shut Down, How Paul yes, Prepared the Church in Philippi to Stand Against the Attacks of the Antichrist. And it is phenomenal, by the way. I read it myself. I recommend it. Oh, man, it thank you. Already. And uh, I believe it's taken uh, quite a bit of traction already. It's gained some momentum from what I've seen just simply on social media. I'm sure you have, you know, some of the analytics behind all of that, but it truly invites and it welcomes people in to take a closer look into the cultural perspective of the epistle written to the saints at Philippi. And um, absolutely, it's phenomenally written. It's, it's, it's very, very interesting. I couldn't put it down. But before we get into the book, before we get into all of that, uh, right now you're currently serving as a student pastor, assistant pastor at First Church. Uh, First Pentecostal Church of Anderson, is that correct? Yes, sir. Right here in Anderson, Indiana. Yeah, my wife and I uh, were installed this summer as the student pastors. And man, I think since then, we've gotten a total of seven and a half hours of sleep. So wow. it's, go it's going great. Yeah, that's awesome. No, I I'm kidding, but we're, ha <laughs> we're having fun. That's excellent. If you're not having fun in ministry, then we're doing something wrong. But oh, I, man, I know that it's... Uh, very, very powerful what you you and your wife are doing there, serving and moving the ministry there. And from what I know, you've also traveled nationally. You've traveled interna internationally as an evangelist. And uh, I'd like to start there. You know, talk to me a little bit about some of the experiences, maybe going back as a from your childhood. What really led up to you 
being involved in ministry and becoming an evangelist? Yeah, man, uh, man, this is always such an interesting question. Um, cause a lot of guys can kind of tell you, you know, it was a sunny night on the 4th of August at 7 PM in a service, you know, mm-hmm. and the Lord opened the heavens and was like, you are going to do this. Yeah. Uh, man, I don't really have a story quite like that. I've, it, it, I don't know if it sounds cliche to say that I've always felt since I was a child, a, a draw to ministry, man, I was so blessed to be able to grow up in an apostolic home. And my parents actually have uh, some videos of me as a child uh, with a mic running around in a diaper, uh, acting mm. like I was preaching. I don't know what I was saying, but I was giving them the one God finger wave. So I know <laughs> it was, tr- I know it was truth, but man, I've, I've always felt a, a call and a, a pull to ministry. And, uh, throughout college, uh, we were uh, so blessed to be able to launch a campus ministry at Indiana university, uh, in Bloomington, Indiana. And we saw some awesome things happen. And after college, uh, I felt the Lord tugging me do a little bit more and I ended up on the road for a little while and just had some incredible opportunities um, that certainly I didn't deserve, but God was good and had some incredible opportunities to to minister some to some sweet people, to, to meet some incredible people. And then uh, who would have thought I'd end up in Anderson, Indiana with uh, my favorite preacher in the world, Pastor Luke St. Clair. Um, and get married. Uh, we got engaged like three weeks after I moved up to Anderson wow. and man, it's just been a whirlwind, but man, we've been so incredibly blessed. That's awesome. I know. Congratulations. I know you've been recently married still within uh, four years, I believe. Yeah. We just celebrated a uh, three years a little earlier this year. So yes, sir. Yeah. So talk to me a little bit about your travels. Uh, what, what experiences can you, can you share as an evangelist that really impacted your life and, and you would consider maybe unforgettable or just something that you would really share with others? Sure, man. Man, that's, uh, you know, I didn't spend an uh, incredible amount of time on the road. When I set out, I, I certainly had plans of uh, spending quite a substantial amount of time uh, being full time on the road. Um, I know we had talked a little bit about uh, the van and, and that build and that whole process. Um, but when I converted that, and I was planning on spending a, a long time, several years at least, uh, full time on the road. And the way God worked it out was I was full time on the road for about six, seven months um, before I got the call and the door to come to Anderson. And when that door opened, I felt like it was it was the right thing to do. But while I was on the road, man, one of the things that I think kind of really resonated in my spirit. And this is something, especially if you've grown up in the church that you kind of know uh, intrinsically right. that uh, the the services that we attend, the God that we serve, it's bigger than just our local church, right? We, we yep. kind of understand that intrinsically. Um, but I didn't grow up in a minister's home. You know, my, my family's faithful. They're good working class people. I'm, I thank God for them, but I didn't grow up in, you know, like an evangelist home or anything like that. So- right. Uh, interacting with other apostolics outside of my local church or camp meetings and conferences was was kind of rare. Uh, so having the opportunity to be able to travel across the U.S., be able to go to uh, Germany, um, be able to preach to different translators, and 
just experiencing it firsthand that you can walk into a place that they don't speak your language. You could shake their hand, look them in the eye and, and start talking to them. And they're just going to, you know, smile and nod back at you. Yeah. But you can walk into places like that and you can immediately feel that connection. And it's that understanding. Like I've known this my whole life that this is bigger than my local church, but just walking in and seeing regular people in their everyday life. They're not glitzed and glammed up for a conference or camp meeting. They're just regular people living for God. And and you can feel that connection, man. That's something that it just confirms something in my spirit. Like, okay, this is, this is bigger than just me, bigger than my town. Like this is, this is the real thing. Yeah, that's phenomenal. I, I love that story. And I, I feel like there's quite a bit to share from the experiences of the van. And you got quite a few pictures of it on your, uh, on your Instagram. I would encourage anybody to, that follows you or to go and follow you and go check that out. But talk to me a little bit about the story behind the van and how the idea came out to transform that because it's, it's really a fully, fully operable uh, mobile apartment and you seem to have quite a bit of uh, commodity there. So talk to me a little bit about that. Man, that was probably one of the most... It- one of the most interesting things that I've ever done and maybe ever will do. It's extremely creative, by the way. I loved it. Oh man, all creativity happens within constraints. And there's a number of constraints Mm. in the story that kind of, that kind of led to that. Um, So I graduated from IU and was pursuing a couple different jobs, ended up actually working for IU in a a marketing um, position. And uh, man, during that time, I kind of became fascinated with tiny houses I think that uh, Bloomington, Indiana will do that to you. It's a a very kind of uh, of artsy community of a college town. And I I became obsessed with tiny houses and I started learning some 3D modeling software um, in some downtime that I had. And after several months, uh, I honestly think something probably just popped up on social media and I saw someone had done a van conversion. I was like, that is incredible. And so I worked at IU for about eight months. I had great bosses. I had a great team. It, I have no complaints. They, they were they were so good to me. But man, how God works is so funny sometimes. I got pulled into a meeting. And by this time, my direct boss had actually transferred to uh, another position. So I didn't really have a direct box, a uh, direct boss. But I was in charge of making sure the website for all of IU admissions, which was the largest website on campus, millions of hits a year, didn't crash. So I was like, wonderful. Mm. No, no stress, no pressure. Yeah, right. No pressure. But I, I got called into a meeting um, with some super high ups with a lot of zeros in their paycheck. And they're like, we just want to say congratulations. Uh, we're, we're promoting you. I was like, okay, cool. And the more they talked, the more I realized like, hold on a second, this isn't really promotion so much as the job I was in, they don't, they're like, uh, getting rid of it. We're not going to have that position anymore. So we have to find somewhere else for you to go. It was kind of where the conversation ended up and they're going to send me into a really technical job. And man, I just had this weird feeling throughout the meeting. Like, like this isn't, this isn't what I'm supposed to do. So I spent a, a long time praying about it, seeking the Lord, went on a fast, um, Man, one of the best pieces of advice I've ever gotten was there's not a lot of questions that you can't get answers to with a seven day fast. Mm. And I'll tell you, I didn't make it to seven days. I got my answer before seven days. So I went to McDonald's afterwards to celebrate my answer. I don't know if that's the right thing to do or not. But man, I I can be honest and tell you when when I was in prayer, I if I've ever heard the voice of God, I felt like the Lord told me, quit your job and buy a van. 
Okay. And what a weird statement to, <laughs> to process. And so I was like, oh, okay, Lord, let's, let's see what happens. So trying to make a, a long story a little bit shorter here. Um, I told you right before we went on, this might be five hours if I don't, <laughs> if I don't get moving. Um, so man, I was like, you know, I'm going to have to figure out how to have this conversation with my parents. And I, I could take it to the exact place, the restaurant, the table that I sat down with my mom and began to share my heart with her. And you no, know, I have very supportive uh, parents, very supportive family. And she was all on board and we both kind of sat there. We're like, okay, how are we going to tell dad? So that, so that was the next hurdle. So I had, had the conversation with my father and man, I, I love my father. Um, he, he said something to me. He said, you know, son, I think this is a wonderful idea, but, but what if, um, before you quit, what if you go ahead and put your feelers out there and, and try to get a couple of places scheduled, you know, to go preach or, or to go minister to try to get a couple of places scheduled and, that that sounds like the most level-headed response, you know, that I can think of. Logically, yeah. he was right. That is that is the right answer. And but man, I felt a check in my spirit, and I said, you know, Dad, I I respect and I, and I appreciate, you know, your feedback and your and your input. But I truly feel like until I take this step, the door is not going to open. Mm. And so, man, it it kind of was an all or nothing. Uh, moment for me in my life where I quit a very stable job that had just given me a promotion, which did in, include a higher salary. Uh, so I, I was set there. Um, I, I quit. I walked away from that. I had $12,000 in my bank account that I'd been saving and saving. And I spent every penny on that van conversion Wow! of that $12,000. And Whenever I uh, had quit the job, I had bought the van, I pulled it into the backyard of my parents' house and I set a little camera on a tripod and I made a video. It's on my YouTube channel that I haven't posted to probably since (laughs) since that series. Um, But the video is titled, I quit my job and I bought a van. And bro, within two weeks of having that video posted, I had a schedule filled for the next year and a half. Wow. I, I ended up having to go back and cancel a lot of places that I had, uh, had put on, and you'll pencil it down on the schedule, um, when I moved to Anderson, but the, everybody, that everybody was so understanding and God worked it out. But I, it was such a moment of, of learning is that Abraham moment coming out of Ur and, and you know, where are we going, God? And God's, like, yeah. I'll show you, you just, yeah. you just got to trust me. And bro, that was I mean, that taught me, if nothing else, that if you'll just, if you'll hand it over to God, you can't go wrong trusting God. You yeah. you just can't, man. And it was, it was incredible, incredible six, seven months. I, I lived in that van full time. I traveled. I had such awesome opportunities I, to preach. I uh, stayed in Louisiana for a while, uh, the Carolinas, and went throughout Indiana. And man, God just opened doors and, and he blessed me. That is extraordinary. And I'm going to put a link in the, um, in the description below. Um, and anybody that is, that is willing and is interested, they can definitely look up your Instagram page and see the pictures there. And then we'll link to the video as well. And I'm just going to let, you know, people go and find it on their own and you just have to see it for yourself. I've seen the video and, um, it is very extraordinary, but that, that leads or speaks volumes about how God begins to work in somebody's life when they have a tremendous calling and you really don't have it all figured out in front of you. But when you take that step right. of obedience and it begins to unfold, you really see what God is trying to do and it speaks so much to that on so many levels. I love that. 
And I know that's um, just that alone. I know that's going to be very inspiring to a lot of people just taking that step forward of obedience. Man, it works every time you can't, you, I've heard all my life. You can't outgive God and you really can't, you can try, but, but you can't, it it works every time. You know, you mentioned a a very powerful quote that I, that I absolutely love and I'm going to write it down and I'm going to save it. And it's from your pastor, Luke Sinclair. You don't study to preach. You study to live. If Mm. you'll study to live, you will never lack anything to preach. And yes, sir. as as a preacher myself, um, and 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 from from my background, that just really really spoke to me, and it really stood out to me that I want others to see. And could you elaborate a little bit about that and your pastor, and maybe the relationship as an influence there, and maybe some of the influences from uh, other leaders? Absolutely, man. I'll I'll tell you two stories. I'll try to keep them as quick as possible about that quote. Here here's the power of of that quote. So uh, we have a school here at, at our church, Pentecostal Christian Academy. We just started it last year and uh, God's blessed it. We've doubled the number of students since last year. It's, it's going awesome. But we have a chapel service every Friday morning. And uh, last year uh, is our first year of the school. Pastor pretty much preached about every chapel service. I, I came in you know, every once in a while and, and got to preach to the kids. But pastor pretty much kind of kind of ran that. And. So this year, with things being a little different, obviously over the summer, my wife and I were installed as the student pastors. In pastor's uh, mind and his thought process, he wanted to start getting me more involved, you know, in that side of things and preaching chapel. So uh, I I preached one chapel a couple weeks ago, and he was out of town. So he comes back in town, and uh, we have an early morning youth prayer on Friday morning. So we came in, did our early morning prayer before school, and I went back to the house for a couple hours till chapel. And I came, you know, a few minutes early, start getting stuff set up, and and pastor was down in the prayer room, you know, getting it like he does. And so my my thought process is, uh, you know, I haven't been asked to preach. I don't I have no plans on preaching. Pastor down here praying. I can, you know, I can't wait to hear pastor preach. And that was my thought all morning. Like pastor's gonna tear it up. And so we get up there and we do our songs and we go through everything and. His wife, Sister TJ, she's a, a, a school administrator. I'm going to tell my pastor a little bit here. So if he's listening, <laughs> I, I appreciate I appreciate this one, Pastor. Uh, so she turns to the student and says, all right, everybody, would you welcome welcome Pastor as he comes to preach? And this joker looks over at me and is like, go ahead. Why don't, why don't, why don't, why don't you just go ahead and preach today? Okay. I was like, good. So I had from the time I walked from the back of the chapel to the front of the chapel to figure out what, what we were going to preach about that morning. So this is, this is kind of the power of that quote. If you only study when you have somewhere to preach in that moment, you are hosed, bro. Mm. It is, it is mm. game over. I hope you remember the last message you preached and have it memorized. But Jeez. if you will, if you will make study a habit of your life, bro, you every, you can preach every scripture of the word there. There aren't preachable scriptures and unpreachable scriptures. Jesus is on every page of the word. So I was so thankful for my pastor's influence in my life that morning because in between our prayer and chapel, I had sat down and was reading through uh, actually some Jonathan Sachs, some Rabbi Sachs commentary through Deuteronomy and just kind of pondering over some concepts in Deuteronomy, got my gears turning. And so I walked up to, to the pulpit that morning. I was like, all right, everybody, let's turn to the book of Deuteronomy. But that, that's kind of the thing that, that happens when you make study a part of your life and you've got the word flowing in and out of you every single day. 
you never have to step to a pulpit thinking, oh my goodness, I, I don't have, you know, my, my 10 bullet points and I, I didn't study for this particular message. If it's, if it's in your heart, man, it can flow out of you. Yeah. yeah uh, absolutely. But that, that's, that's kind of speaks to that quote, but as far as influence, um, my pastor's influence in my life, mentors influence my life. Uh, there are, uh, there are textbooks and there are text people. There are some things you can learn from books, but there are some things you can only learn from people, from being around people. There's a story in the Talmud. And I'll try to tell this as quickly as possible. Sure, sure you go. Uh, there's, a, there's a story in the Talmud. Uh, it talks about this rabbi. He's a rabbi uh, outside of Jerusalem, very small town. He only has a handful of students. And uh, one day he comes to students and says, you know, I, I really want to go to Jerusalem. I, I want to study with some of the great sages in Jerusalem. And they're all for it. You know, all, all seven of them, they're like, yeah, let's do it. So they, they raise the money to send their, their teacher, their rabbi to Jerusalem to study, you know, with the big dogs. So he goes and takes his one month trek to Jerusalem. He's there for several days and he takes his month trek uh, back to the little town where he's a rabbi and he sits down with his students and man, they are just stoked. You know, it's like your teacher just went and met superstars. Like they're just stoked. They're like, rabbi, did you, did you get to, uh, uh, go to Shabbat? Did you get, get to go to, the, to synagogue with them? Did you hear them teach? Did you hear them expound? And he says, no, no, I didn't get to hear them teach. They're like, Oh, okay. Well, well, surely you went in and had Shabbat with them. You had, you went in on Friday night and spent the Sabbath with them and you got to talk about the word. And he says, no, no, they were, they were busy. I, I didn't get to, to spend Shabbat with them. And they're like, Oh, okay. Um, they're starting to wonder at this point, why did we raise all that money to send this guy all the way to Jerusalem? And they're like, okay, well, if you didn't get to hear him teach and you didn't get to spend Sabbath with them, then what was the purpose of the journey? What did you do? And he says, well, I got to watch, I got to watch one of the great sages tie his shoelaces. Mm. And, and they're all looking at each other, looking back and forth. They're like, well, well, what on earth did you learn from that? And his response to them is I learned more by watching that great teacher tie his shoelaces than I could teach you in a thousand lessons. Mm. Because the principle, there are some things that can only be caught there's some things that can't be taught. I can, I can tell you that you need to have a heart for God. I can tell you that you need to, your heartbeat needs to be for the word of God, that you need to love people. But when you get around somebody who, yeah. who prayer is always on their lips, who you can just be driving down the road with them and they'll just break out in prayer at, at any given time. It's not a switch they turn off and on. It's just who they are. They have a love for the word. They have a love for people. They have a love for the kingdom. Man, you learn more. Uh, by being around people like that, then you will ever learn in a book that's about how to preach. You can read all the biblical preaching that you want. Had a great book, wonderful book, go read it. But get, get you near a man of God that you can glean from, that you can submit yourself to. And I, I can't say enough, everything that I've just said, I'm talking about my pastor, if you haven't picked up on that. But yeah. man, it's just, when you get around somebody like that, you can learn things and it shapes the character of who you are more efficiently and better than any textbook you could ever read. Yeah, absolutely. I love being around people that are very influential like that. People that are just naturally just wanting and desiring to pour out into others. And typically I'm very, very curious and I begin to ask a lot of questions and I see that somebody's willing absolutely. to answer those questions. So I'm always uh, 
uh, learning from that, asking those questions and poking at that, because that's how I learn aside from resources. So, man, that's that's such a good point. Hillel, uh, the, the grandfather of Gamaliel that we read about in the New Testament, that Paul sits under the feet of Gamaliel, his grandfather, Hillel the Great, he has this quote um, that's recorded in Perkeavos, uh, the, the wisdom or the ethics of the fathers. He says, an ignoramus cannot be pious. Yeah. So someone who does not ask questions will never learn is basically yeah. the translation of it. But man, that's, that's such a good point. You know, and speaking of resources as well, I know that you were probably drowned in quite a few of them and you've studied so many different things leading up to the book. And I wanted to ask you, did you find a close relationship between resources that you normally study for your personal development, what you use to prepare for a message and what led to writing the book? Oh, absolutely, man. Uh, so uh, for those who don't know, this book uh, actually started as a Bible series that I taught at our church um, for a year and a half before I became the student pastor. I taught our Sunday morning Bible class. And uh, so originally the content that uh, ended up being fleshed out and expanded out into what became the book, it originally was just me taking notes to teach this Bible class. So the, the resources that I used in, in studying for that Bible class absolutely immediately transferred over to the book. I mean, it's, it's pretty much a one-to-one. The only thing with the book is I just went back and dug a little bit deeper um, to try expand out some of the principles that I didn't quite get to because of the time limitations in the class. But absolutely, yeah, it, it transferred over. Yeah, what part of the the series that was evolving and developing, at what point did the inspiration come out to say, hey, you know what, this really needs to be on some type of resource that others need to get their hands on. Well, where, where did that happen or where the inspiration to actually create the book itself from the series? Sure. Um, so I talk a little bit about that in uh, the letter from the author in the beginning of the book, um, but it, it's really kind of simple. So um, I taught the first lesson um, and I, I didn't plan on this being a series. I, I didn't, I never planned when I was, um, working on this for it to be a book. This is something that came out of daily study. It was just in a, in a morning study reading through Philippians. Yeah. And there's a verse that just, just, just kind of jumped out to me. You know how, um, when you're, uh, you're a preacher or you're, you're used to kind of thinking like that, things will just jump out of you. You're like, hold on, there's, there's something there. Yep. And yep. I started digging. I was like, this, this would make a great class. This would make a great lesson. So I taught that. And when I taught that lesson, I had to leave so much out from what I wanted to say that I was like, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll just do a part two next week. You know, we'll, we'll make it a part two. So we go back, I, we do a part two and there was so much I had to leave out. I was like, no, we'll, we'll, let's just do a part three. Let's do, let's do one more. And so we did a part three and I was like, still, there's so much I left out. But at that point I'm like, okay, we've been, we've been churning through this for three weeks. Like it's kind of time in the class to move on. But there was so much more depth that I wanted to explore with this, that at that point, after that three weeks, I really started to think, you know, may, this could this could be maybe a larger project if, if I, I think there's more to explore here. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's such a timely book. The time of the release, I believe it was just past May. And it's, it's such yes, a sir. timely book and the content is just so relevant. And since the book was published post-pandemic and you were probably working on it through that time, I would assume, did you see parallels with the church in Philippi then? And the church now in regards to being silenced and shut down? 
Absolutely, man. So, you know, when, when COVID first started, or as my pastor calls it, cuss word 19, mm. as, as cuss word 19 <laughs> first started, we started hearing, hearing about it. Nobody really knew what was going on. Right. I mean, it was just, I'm, I mean, you, you, you know, you know what it was like. Um, so we ended up having here in Anderson, you know, every church handled it differently. Um, we ended up having 53 days where we didn't have an in-person service. And bro, we hated every moment of it. Yeah. When we had our, our first service back, we did one of those, you know, drive-in services and we set up all the radio transmitters and bro, we couldn't keep people in their cars. They came out, was laying hands on people wow. and praying people through. I mean, you just, but it's all this conversation. It was on everybody's mind. Like, is this going to shut the church down? Can, can they shut the church down? It, it, you know, would they be able to shut the church down? And man, one of my candy sticks um, when I'm teaching or preaching or whatever is I, I like to talk about this guy named Antiochus Epiphanes the fourth. Um, he, uh, was a Seleucid ruler, um, over, uh, Jerusalem. He had, had a few territories under him during the intertestamental period. And, uh, if you study out Antiochus Epiphanes and, I, and obviously we don't have time to go into it here. Yeah. Um, but he was kind of, in my opinion, he was the, uh, embody the first embodiment of the spirit, uh, I won't say the first, he was one of the prevalent embodiments of the spirit of Antichrist before the first coming of Christ. And one of his, he had three main focuses. He wanted to outlaw the word of God. He outlawed circumcision, the sign of the covenant, and he refused to let Jews gather in worship. So I, I believe a hundred percent that the spirit of Antichrist before the second coming of Christ is going to do those same three things and is going to attempt to shut down the church. And so as I was studying through this series, and this is why I stopped the Bible class where we did in week three, which is um, where I named that last lesson, the church that Caesar couldn't shut down, which is the namesake of the book. As I began to read about Paul being in prison and kind of the, the big spoiler for the book is who he converts, uh, or at least who we believe that he converts in, in while he's under house arrest. Um, and there's all kinds of historical arguments. We don't have to get into that. Um but kind of kind of the the rallying point of the whole series and of the whole book was essentially this if they want to try to shut us down let it, let them try let them send their guards when their guards get here we'll baptize the guards we'll baptize the guards family we'll win them to Christ let them keep sending the guards let them try to shut us down we'll keep winning them yeah. that was kind of like the rallying cry of the book so i think it was um in the, in the cl when the class was being taught and, and hopefully still is relevant with the book but that's kind of the rallying cry like they're going to try and shut down the church that shouldn't be a surprise but when they do don't be intimidated just win the people that come to shut the yeah. church down yeah and and I love the focus that it puts around per, uh, Paul's purpose uh, in his second missionary trip. And it's very quite clear it, just simply to confirm the churches and prepare them to protect their salvation. And that's mm. a direct quote from the book, to confirm the churches and prepare them to protect their salvation. So yes, sir. looking into today's culture with everything that we have going on around with, we're bombarded with different types of music, social media, different forms of entertainment, so many different types of agendas that are really not spiritually edifying. What would you mm. tell young people today that will prepare them to protect their salvation against the things like the Jezebel spirit, for example? Absolutely. So I'm going to try and uh, handle that in two parts if I can. The sure. first part um, to, uh, confirm the churches to prepare and protect their salvation. So we don't believe in the doctrine that once saved, always saved. Uh, 
and so much as saying that if you're baptized in Jesus name, you're filled with the gift of the Holy ghost, um, that, okay, you can wash your hands clean, go live however you want to live, go commit adultery, go do whatever, go murder people. You're fine. You know, you, right. you were saved. You have to stay saved. If I can say it that way, you have to protect that salvation. Uh, you know, in classical language, you could call that justification being born again and sanctification, the the life process of, of protecting that salvation. Cause ultimately until you cross the, the threshold and you walk into heaven, like our, our journey is not over un, until it's over. Yeah. So uh, it's so important for, for young people to understand and to realize that the salvation, the justification that you received when you were born again, when your sins were washed away, when you received the gift of the Holy Ghost, you have to protect that. And the last, uh, we just actually finished up a series uh, with our young people. Uh, I called it the Prayer and Series. It was, uh, I based it off of a book by Ian e. Bounds, great, great author, a 19th century uh, pastor and author called The Necessity of Prayer. And throughout teaching that there was a theme that came back recurring over and over and over again. We probably talked about it in every single week of the six weeks that, that I taught this series that you have to guard and be careful what you are spending your emotional virtue on. And what I mean by that is all of us have a set amount every day of emotional, what I like to call it emotional virtue. You could call yeah. it emotional energy, right. emotional reserves that you have to spend on things. Yes. David talks about in the Psalms, and, we, and I don't think I have to give a biblical proof for this concept, but right. David talks about in the Psalms the times when he had cried all the tears he could cry. What was he saying? He's saying, I have used up my emotional energy for the day. Mm. Like I yeah. am spent. Yeah. So, and, and classifying and understanding the difference between you can invest emotional energy on sinful things, right? I mean, you can be actively involved in sin, obviously not good, but you can invest emotional in, uh, uh, virtue and energy into just entertainment. And, uh, you know, Paul talks about the difference between um, setting aside every sin and every weight. So this is a distinction that, that I try to, to get to our young people that you can go watch a movie and maybe there's nothing sinful in the movie. Okay. There's no murdering in the movie. There's nothing, there's none of the big 10, right? There's none of nothing you could point to and say, well, that was terrible. Yeah. Maybe, maybe that's not it. But if you watch four movies back to back to back, you just, you know, sat on Netflix, knocked out the whole series in one day. Then you sat on social media for four hours and then you come to prayer meeting and we wonder why we feel so empty. We wonder why we can't connect and feel like we can't get tapped in. We wonder why when there's people around us, they're crying, they're speaking in tongues, they're just travailing in the spirit and, and we're sitting there and we just feel cold and emotionless. Yeah. I'll tell you the reason is because you have spent all of your emotional virtue that you had to spend and you gave it to the world. Yeah. So what, what we have to do is protect our emotional virtue. If you will store it up, if you will save it up, say, I'm not going to waste it on this movie. I'm not going to waste it on six hours on social media, but I'm going to protect that. And when I come to church, I'm going to be ready to give absolutely everything that I have. That's the kind of thing that will help protect you against the Jezebel spirit, against the yeah. agendas that are behind the entertainment that we are investing our emotional virtue in. Yeah, absolutely. That's phenomenal. And we could really, really dig into that and make the entire episode just simply about that. But there's some other points that I really want to touch on a little bit. And throughout the book, there's different principles that are peppered throughout it and principles that Paul references to. And one of those being, he says, abound more in love. 
abound more mm. in love. How would you say that that relates to how we treat others today, especially in the church, outside of the church, as Christians, especially when others don't mirror our convictions? Absolutely. So what you're referring to here in the book, this is in part one, Desire, Doctrine, and Discernment, specifically right. the chapter titled Desire. So in, so this scripture comes from Philippians chapter one, verse number nine. I pray that your love you know, may abound yet more and more knowledge and in all judgment. And then in chapter two, he goes in to explain exactly what he means by that love. And essentially this is, this is the principle that he's trying to teach. Can you esteem others higher than yourself? And here's the catch, even when you don't think they should be. Yeah. And essentially, and I explain this in the book and, and I'll leave this. If you want to know more about that, go buy the book, wink, wink. <laughs> go, go get the book. <laughs> yeah. but essentially what he's doing is he is, um, standing against the mindset of the sect and tradition that he's been raised in the Pharisees, this idea of this social elite. And I give the example in the book of how the true heart um, between the Pharisees and Jesus is on display when the, the woman walks in of ill repute and she lays before Jesus and uh, she begins to you know wash his feet with her tears and dry it with her hair. And the Pharisee is sitting there saying, if, if Jesus knew what manner of woman this was, you know, he wouldn't even let her touch her. And, yeah. and Jesus is basically like, that's the reason. The reason I am here is not to be part of a high-class social club. I'm here to save people just like her. And so what Paul was trying to say is, He's asking about your desire. Let yeah. your love abound more. What's your desire? Do you want to just be part of a cool social club where you can come hang out our four no more? Or is it truly your desire to see the gospel propagated in the earth? Is it truly yeah. your desire to see soul saved? And that abounding love can abound over any um, preconceived notions you may have of people who don't look like you, people who don't smell like you, people you don't think deserve it. And it's just such a simple question, but man, it's hard to answer. Yeah. Can you esteem someone else higher than yourself, even when you have no reason to, even when there looks like there is no evidence to? When we talk about Jesus and the Pharisees, because this ties in together as well, they were both regarded as teachers, as leaders, but we know through study that with very opposing mentalities. So how would you say that mm. that's different in mindsets or the difference in mindsets help or hinder the church's mission today? Absolutely. So it, this is, this is kind of one of uh, my candy sticks too. And I tell this story in the book of how the Pharisees and Sadducees got their name. Oh my right. goodness. It is an right. incredible story. It's probably one of my favorite stories that I have come across over the last couple of years of how they got their names. But it's so interesting when you begin to understand the mindsets between the Pharisees and the Sadducees that Jesus was much, much closer in, uh, how should I say, operation and doctrine to the Pharisees than he was the Sadducees. Right. You will never find a, a kind word from Jesus towards the Sadducees. Why? These are the heretics. These are the ones who have embraced Greek culture. These are the ones going to the games and, and, and all of that. Um, but the Pharisees, it's so interesting because th this verse, um, Jesus says in Matthew 23, he, he basically says, paraphrasing, he says, whatever the Pharisees tell you to do, do it. But after their works, don't do it because they say but they don't do, 
which is so interesting because Jesus is saying the Pharisees teaching is right. At least, at least in this instance, their teaching is right, but it's their works. They're not doers. And so all, all throughout, you get this principle that the kingdom of God, that Christianity, that being a true Christian, that following Jesus is about being a hearer and a doer yes. of the word. Yes. You can't just profess it, you know, you can't profess it and, and um, and not follow it up with action. Yeah. We've got our, our, our youth service, uh, our student ministry service tomorrow night. And all day I've, I've kind of had some things working through my, my head for that. And one of the things I, I really want to hit on tomorrow is that belief is so much more than just professing. Mm. Belief must be backed by action. Yes. And so you have these Pharisees who are teaching the right things, but they're not doing it. And that's, and that's where we've got to understand that you can, you can profess things all day long, but unless your life is lining up with the word, that's, that's what it takes. It takes your life actually lining up with the word. You've got to hear it and do it. Absolutely. And speaking of convictions, you know, considering the fact that we live amongst a nation with so many different issues and shortcomings and dealing with social injustice and racial equality, what convictions do you think are most important to hold fast in today's cultural climate? Sure. Um, I think we could dig into that question <laughs> for, for a whole podcast. But I'll, I'll, I'll answer it very, very simply. You have to have a conviction and a conviction is de not, is defined as something that, that you'd give your life up for. It's not something that just, well, if it's not convenient, then I won't do it. That's not a conviction. If you're willing to compromise on it, it never was a conviction because a conviction is something you'd give your life up for. And, and I'll give you this one conviction that I think all of us should have that I am convicted that the Bible is the inerrant inspired word of God. Yeah. Yeah. And if it's written in there, it's good enough for me. Yeah, that works. I, I'm not going to cherry pick it. I'm not going to say I want to I want to follow that, but that one's kind of harsh. Man, the, the closer we get to the coming of the Lord, and I believe we are very close, the Bible and the teachings of the church are going to continually be categorized as hate speech. And I think we're already starting to see that. Um, if you're a church that live streams and your pastor gets up and starts talking about homosexuality or transgenderism, everybody back in the sound booth starts sweating a little bit because all the little red flags start popping up on Facebook. <laughs> like, yep. like they're listening and yep. they're watching, but we have to be convicted that if it's in the word, it's right. Regardless of what the crooked and perverse culture says, I'm convicted that the word's right. Yeah, absolutely. And would you say that it's important for the church to be more vocal about these things instead of being politically correct or socially acceptable? Absolutely, man. And there's something that I've I've actually had this conversation with uh, several ministers um, and I've considered uh, kind of developing this out into a writing project. Yeah. Um, I, I got to reading, there's a book by Amy, her name's Amy Chua. The book is called World on Fire. Okay. Uh, she was trying to answer the question, why the Jews? Why throughout history have the Jewish people always been the ones who were hated, who were targeted? Why, why this? Why this people? And she gives she gives three things. She says for for a, a group like this, for for them to be um, hated and targeted like this, there's three things that have to happen. They have to be conspicuous, successful, and a minority. Okay. So very simply, they have to be identifiable. Otherwise, you couldn't single them out. They have to be successful. Otherwise, nobody would even care. And they must be a minority. Otherwise, nobody would attack them. 
So why, so that's what it takes for a group to be hated. So what does it look like for a church or uh, I'll say that way for a group or for a church not to be hated? What does it require for the church of the living God to not be hated? This is what it requires. It requires for your church to no longer be successful, to no longer be separated, and then you'll no longer be hated. Yeah. Jesus was very clear with his disciples that men shall hate you for my name's sake. And I, I think it's a kind of a good litmus test for the church that if the message we're preaching is fitting in with a crooked and perverse generation, we're probably doing something wrong. You mentioned a little bit about doctrine and discernment, and you get the feeling that they absolutely go hand in hand the way that you explain mm. it. Is there a result when you possess doctrine, but you lack discernment? And how does discernment become a target to dismantle the church? Absolutely. Very, very simple. This might be my one short answer of the night. I'm going to, I'm going to do good on this one. It's very, very simple. You can have doctrine, but if you lack discernment, you will not keep your doctrine. Mm. Discernment is what allows you to stand steadfast on doctrine. One of my, one of my favorite, I mean, I, I, you hear preachers say this all the time, but if you've never heard um, the clip of Bishop Holmes from uh, First Pentecostal Church, North Little Rock, when the year turned over at 2022 at midnight, he grabs the mic and, he, <laughs> and you know, everybody's worshiping and praising. They had, they had all night prayer and he grabs the mic and, it, and a hush kind of comes over the crowd. And man, he just, he wells back and goes, the devil is still a liar. And bro, that place just goes nuts. Wow. But bro, it's so true. The devil is a liar. And what he will do is he will speak through false teachers and he'll send people who look like they have a facsimile of truth. They'll look good, look appealing. If you have itching ears, you're going to yeah. listen to him. Yeah. But he'll send those kind of people into the church. And if you don't have discernment, you will allow them to degradate your doctrine until it's so watered down that the very thing you you promise to stand against is the very thing that you're embracing. So man, if you don't have discernment, you're not going to have doctrine for long. At least you're not going to have sound doctrine for long. Yeah. I think one of the things that I found really, really interesting is that you mentioned a little bit about cancel culture as well. So we see that you know, when they couldn't cancel the message itself, they go after the person. You know, how mm. do we see this play out for Paul? And what really kept Paul from cracking under pressure and instead conserving his peace? Absolutely. So I think it's important to, to realize, how should I phrase this? I think it's important to understand uh, the defense that the world will use in their attacks on the church. It's very um, rare that they're going to come out and say, well, I don't like the church because I don't like that kind of music. I don't like that you preach that one verse. No, no, no. Uh, there's there's some historical um, references. I, I believe it was I believe it was Nero. I could be wrong on that. It was, it was a Roman emperor okay. um, that, as he was persecuting um, the Christians, the um, reasoning he gave for it was for their crimes against humanity. It was for the hatred of humanity. Mm. Cancel culture is not a new phenomenon. We, it has a hashtag now, so it feels yeah. kind of new. Right. But they, and you see this in Paul too, when the, the masters of the slave girl who has the, the spirit of divination, when Paul cast that out, um, what they should have done, what, what they were mad about was that's how they made their living. They should have brought Paul up there and said, hey, we can't make our living anymore, but th their living was corrupt anyway, so they're, they're not going to stand on that argument. So they get them thrown in prison by saying this. They say that Paul is teaching things that are not lawful for us to observe or do as Romans. Yep. 
we have a Roman identity. We have a way of life and their doctrine does not align with our way of life. And that is exactly where we are today. If you want to talk about, uh, the LGBTQ plus community that it it is a way of life that is different. It is a way of life that is not condoned by the word of God. And, And so what the attacks are going to be is they're going to try and paint us as haters of humanity. And I, I close one of those chapters around that area, but I, I, I think this is, I think this is what I say It is something to the effect of only a crooked and perverse nation could look at a message of love and call it hate. So I think yeah. it goes back to having that conviction that the word of God's inerrant, the word of God is right. And I believe that it's a message of love, no matter how many people call evil good and good evil. I believe that we have the truth and what we're preaching is not a message of hate. It is a message of love. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you explain also that one can believe in coincidence or in divine intersection, but not both. And I love that Mm. thought. And Paul's ministry developed when we really look at it and we study it, his ministry develops more fully while he pursued his calling of spreading the gospel, the more he's obedient to it, kind of like the way that we opened up this conversation and his encounters seem coincidental. And we obviously know that God's hand was in it and driving it the entire way. And as we navigate through life, should our life and ministry also naturally develop the more we pursue our purpose? And this is why I ask that, because the question in today's young adults is is very evident. And I see that quite frequently. And I don't know if maybe you share that same sentiment, but asking about purpose and asking about calling and asking about that direction is, is really a need that I've seen and I've noticed and it stood out to me. So as we kind of just navigate through life, you know, should our life and ministry, if you're involved in ministry, also develop the same way the more we pursue our purpose? Yes. And I can't leave it that short. I can't do it. I tried to do it, but I couldn't do it. Yes, I think it absolutely should. Man, I, I th- God has such an incredible way of preparing you for things that you don't even realize he's preparing you for. Yeah. There have been several times uh, in my life and in my ministry at every one of those major stepping points, and we could go back and talk about going into the van and moving to Anderson, how, how, God, how God sent a prophet to me, and man, he just read my mail about what was about to happen. Yeah. But every time I've been to one of those pivotal moments in life where there are moments of transition where you are stepping from one uh, spectrum, one area of your life into that next, we'll call it, let's call it season. You're stepping from one season of life into that next season. Every time that I've been there, I've been able to look back and connect the dots. Like most recently this summer, I mean, this is, oh, it's such a perfect example. Um, Back in, it was back in January. um, And we, before we took over um, brother Morgan and uh, sister Wendell, uh, Brother Morgan, Sister Morgan, Brother Wendell Evans um, were leading our youth group. They did uh, such an awesome job. They had done it for several, several years. Um, man, back in back in January, um, we had some meetings with all the leadership team and everything. And I went back after all those meetings. I told my wife, I said, I, I don't know what it is. And I don't know why, but I feel like we need to start trying to connect with the young people. I feel like we need to start having some personal one-on-one connections with them. I was like, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know why, but I feel like we need to do that. And the door started opening. Um, I started teaching some piano lessons to different young people in our church and started having these relationships with, with young people. 
And when the season and time came, I got that phone call from my pastor said, Hey, I, I, I want you to consider this. I want you to pray about this. It was such a seamless transition because God had already prepared us with those connections with young people. Yeah. I talked to, uh, we've got some good friends up in Frankfurt um, that they are, they are youth pastors and when they were installed, uh, I believe they were, it might've been this year. It might've been late last year when they were installed as youth pastors. He said, bro, one of my biggest struggles was we didn't really have a lot of connections with young people. So it took us a lot of time to, to develop that. And this is not speaking ill of him or his wife or anything. They're doing a, a phenomenal job. They had, it was like eight real McCoys this year. I mean, just blowing it out of the water. But, but I, my response to that was like, I said, man, I'll, all I can say, it was a God thing. Like he made these connections possible. And that's, there's so much peace when you get to that season of transition in your life and you can look back and say, it all makes sense because I was sensitive to the voice of God. And this isn't to my own horn. I'm saying generally, if you're sensitive to the voice of God and you let God, even you don't understand it, like, God says, go make a connection with that person. Uh, okay, I don't really understand, but let's let's do it. Or or start doing this, start working on that, start start studying this or whatever, whatever you have it. You may not understand why, but there's gonna there, there's gonna come a season when you're ready to step into that next and you're ready for that transition when you can look back and connect all the dots and say, Okay, God was preparing me for this moment. And man, there is such clarity that comes in that moment. There's gonna be a lot of nights where you're like, Lord, what am I doing? Yeah. What 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 am I supposed to do? But if you'll just stay faithful. You'll stay sensitive to the voice and the spirit of God. That that moment of clarity is it's going to come. You know, speaking about peace and clarity, would you say that's the one thing or one of the couple of things together that will let you know that you're walking in alignment with God's calling on your life? I think it's definitely a good indication. I, I'm not going to say that. Right. Um, I won't say that there won't be any fear in it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it's been said that fear and faith can't coexist. And I'll quote my pastor here. He said, eh, no, <laughs> it absolutely can coexist. Matter right. of fact, if you're not a little scared of what's happening, uh, you maybe you're not, you, you don't have enough faith. Your faith isn't big enough for what God wants to do. Cause it should scare you a little bit. Um, yep. so it, it's almost a little contradictory to say that you can have peace and still be, still have a little bit of fear. But I, I think it's it's that line you walk where you you have peace in the decision, even if you don't know exactly how, how it's all going to work out. So I, I absolutely think that is one of the indicators. Like, you know, I have peace that this is where I'm supposed to go. And that's how I felt about the van. And I was like, I don't I don't have anywhere to go, but I have peace that this is where I'm supposed to go. Yeah, absolutely. I'd like to stay on that same vein a little bit about purpose. And we get the impression that Paul saw a purpose for every prison. And you mentioned Mm. that. And he understood the power behind conversations through any circumstance. Has Mm. the church forgotten to speak enough of the miracles? Or how can we continue to have those conversations about miracles and the spiritual works and instead maybe focused too much on the church growth and metrics? Sure. Um, if I could recommend two books to read right off the yep. bat, um, a book called High on God. Okay. Oh man, what a what a book is! I believe it was published through Stanford. It's several authors. Um, uh, and I, I finished a book this weekend called How Rome Fell by Adrian Goldsworthy, one, one of my favorite historians. Long, long stinking book. My book is much shorter, much easier <laughs> to read than that book, I hope. Um, but he, he threw something in almost like just like leftovers at the very end of the book. And he said, as he's talking about at the very end of Rome, how Rome crumbled, he said, 
it's easy for large institutions to lose sight of the practical day-to-day purpose. Mm-hmm. And the example he gave was in the early 2000s in, I think it was Britain. I think it was Britain that there was a study that came out that showed that hospitals in the region, the number of administrators had grown while at the same time, the number of available beds in the hospital had diminished. And he kind of used that as this idea of they got so large in their functioning. They were just trying to maintain their numbers, just trying to go for those abstract metrics that the practical things that happen where you're helping sick people, there are actually less beds. And I think that's such a beautiful analogy um, for the church. And hopefully that's not a perfect picture of it, right? Hopefully it's the opposite, but Mm -hmm. we have to be careful not to let our quote unquote administration, our church work affect the sick beds, the, the altar spaces, the, those conversations where we can see people healed. We have to stay true to that practical day-to-day purpose. And, and it, you're right. It is easy to get lost in those metrics. That's, that's human nature. That's not a new thing. That's human nature. But man, it's, it's always going back to, Lord, refresh my purpose, refresh my passion. Let me find somebody today that I can tell about you. Yeah. You know, in so many cases, you can learn so much from leaders from afar. Maybe you really don't have the the access to them to be able to walk uh, alongside maybe the way that you do with your pastor, Pastor uh, Sinclair. But when you don't have access to leaders like that, you can still definitely learn from them and learn from afar. And sure. I, I feel that we have that same that, that, that same uh, impression with the life of Paul through the writings and, and through the Bible. Um, and when facing opposition, Paul always recognized an opportunity and you really, mm. really understand the, the, the mindset that Paul had and the focus that he had around opposition and opportunity and the relationship between those two. So how can yeah. we take after Paul's mindset, the way that we take after maybe some of the influential leaders that we don't have access to, and we don't have access to ask those questions. How can we take after Paul's mindset of seeking out opportunities to share the gospel and to capitalize on them. Bro, I don't even know if I can even add anything to that. You just, you, you described it beautifully. It's a mindset. It's, it wasn't something that Paul went out there and was like, hmm, looking at a crowd of people, who do I think would be good to tell the gospel to? I, I truly believe that every conversation Paul had, it was just part of his nature Say, I'm going to tell them about the gospel. I'm going to tell them about Jesus, every single conversation. And I will tell you, I'll tell you this, as, as you try to make that mindset a reality in your life, there are going to be times where you will finish a conversation with somebody, you will walk away and the Holy Ghost will check you and say, anything else you want to add to that conversation? (laughs) You know what I mean? And, and, And you'll start picking up on things like, wait a second, when, when they said such and such, God opened a door for me to, to minister them. And man, I, I missed it. I missed that. And it, it's going to happen. You're going to miss some, yep. but uh, you have to take the correction of the Holy Ghost and that next conversation, just come back with a new passion, a new burden and say, okay, all right, I, I'm, I'm going to do today. I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to share. I'm going to find a way to share the gospel. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. And to, to look back and to look at some of the missed opportunities, it, it really, it really sat in my heart. And I really thought about that and it, mm. ma- it made me personally, this honest opinion, looking back, um, I, I feel that 
it made me more vigilant and made me more aware of just looking for those opportunities and don't miss the next one. You know, we're not perfect. Yes, sir. Like you said, you're you're going to, you're probably not going to get it right every time, but just simply now being more aware, Hey, like there's something here, tap into that, Mm. you know, and, and tap into the the spirit and, and tap into, uh, the direction and look for that. And just simply being vigilant of that, it, it really opened up my eyes in, in a different way, just simply by reading the book. And I want to thank you for that. It really oh, man. inspired that in me. Bro, that's one of those things when, when you write it, like you are convicted while writing it. Right. It's like, don't assume I've mastered anything that I've written about in that book. Cause man, that, that section you're talking about, bro, it tore me up. Yep. I mean, it's, it's such a powerful principle. And man, Paul, I mean, Paul's the guy, he, he did it. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that um, I really, really liked about the book, and, and I keep saying this about every point because the entire book is phenomenal. And it, just for the audience, oh, kind. The, just for the audience, you're going to have to go back, look for it. And we're going to put a link in the description so you can find it very, very easily. But just a few more uh, points here that I wanted to really delve into. And one of those is referring to 2 Timothy chapter 4. You know, we see Paul's okay. final words. Um, and they really give us hope. We see them, uh, we see them shared with the church in so many different contexts and messages, and just you know, they're they're throughout everywhere. When somebody's in seeing through through service, and they really give us hope. But there's something behind those words that I feel that we've maybe overlooked at times the significance behind them and disregarded the fact that Paul was about to be executed, mm. and. Just personally, from your from your perspective, what type of thoughts and emotions do you experience as you read Paul's final words and as you process the mental image of Paul knowing he's about to be executed? Mm. Man, one of the things that I really tried to do with this book is to explain what was happening when Paul appealed to Caesar. And understanding that when he did that, he, he pretty much knew it probably wasn't going to end very well for him. And there was a quote that I, when I was reading, um, uh, the book is called Paul, an Apostle, the Heart Set Free uh, by F.F. Bruce. Wonderful, wonderful historian, okay. uh, expert on Paul. Um, this, is, this is what he said, and I include this quote in the book um, about when Paul appealed to Caesar He says this, he says, from what we know of Paul, we may be sure that the uppermost consideration in his appeal to Caesar was not his own safety, but the interests of the gospel. Mm. And man, there is just something so convicting and moving about the thought that I believe the only regret, and here's the disclaimer, this is, this is Jordan P. Fry right here. This is, this is what I think. I think the only regret when Paul was led to the execution block that he had was when I die, I'm not going to get to witness to anybody else in Rome. Like when mm-hmm. that, when, when it's finally over, I'm not going to be able to win one more guard. I think that's the only regret. And, and I could be wrong. You know, I, I don't, I don't know all of Paul's life, but I think that was what was on his mind was Lord, if you'll give me one more day, I'll win one more person. And, and having that mindset, man, is, is it just convicting? And if we really believe that we are living in the end times, I think we, it would be expedient for us to do everything we can to try and bring that 
that view of reality to our own lives that our time here is short. Jesus is coming back soon, but God, if you'll give us just one more day, I'm going to do whatever I can to win just one more person. And man, what a, what a life perspective, reality altering viewpoint. If you can really get that ingrained in your spirit. Yeah. Very beautifully said. I love that. One of the things that you also explain in the book that really touched my heart in, in a special way, but it really kind of woke me up because I, I, I normally have the practice of just writing things that the spirit will put in my heart. I, I write a note in my book, in, in my phone, or mm. I write it down wherever it is that I can. I'll go back to it later. Many times it'll, it'll develop into a message or an idea and, and expand on it from there. And then not everything, but the point is, is that I have different notes and I, and I have different, um, things that I refer back to. And one of those is sure. actually presence and absence. And it just, mm. it, it popped out of the page to me when you mentioned it. And um, Paul references presence and absence in the text and in the Bible and in two different contexts, actually. And I, I found this to be very interesting. And that's why I wanted to talk about it with you. One of those contexts being uh, life and death. He references life and yeah. death. And the other one is physically present um, and absent with the people when he's in prison, he's not with them. He's not spending time with them. They're not fellowshipping. Mm. He's in prison and away from them. And then there's a lot of benefits to that. So the reason I bring it up is because in I'm passionate about leadership development. And Mm. as a leader, when you're working with different people, you're not always there to, to be able to pour out consistently. There's sometimes where you have to be absent and let them develop and let them learn Mm. from that. So kind of with that mindset of presence and absence of a leader, this is where it comes from. And in second Corinthians five, eight, just to kind of reference it, um, he's, he refers to life and death there. Uh, he also refers to life and death. Um, speaking of presence and absence in, uh, the first chapter of Philippians, um, he mentions being away from the people physically also, uh, early on in the first chapter of Philippians, as well as, um, Uh, early on in the second chapter of Philippians and also references, in my opinion, what, what I was able to, to see from it when he's writing to Timothy in the first letter in chapter three, you know, he he seems like he expects a delay a little bit and he, and he's asking Timothy to come see him, you know, or there, there, there's going to be an encounter at some point. So my question is with all of that about presence and absence, in your opinion, what can we take away from Paul's references of being present and or absent in any context and any way that you want to really drive that and to take that and break it down. Sure. I think, I think that's a, a, it's a great observation um, of a recurring theme uh, that we find through uh, Pauline letters. I reference, uh, I use this phrase several times throughout the book when I'm referring to Paul, I, I say, uh, things like the heart of a missionary is here on display or, or, and and here you can, you can see the true heart of a missionary. Yeah. And I think in regards to presence and absence and, and where Paul was and where he wanted to be, I think it's such a beautiful picture of a man who has the heart of a missionary and he has his priorities properly aligned. This is a man who wants to be with his brethren. That's a good thing. That's a, that's a good thing to, yeah. to have in your life. He wants to fellowship. He wants to be 
um, lifting up his brothers. He wants to be there breaking bread with them. That's a good thing. He wants to preach the gospel. He wants to propagate the word of God in the earth. He wants to see conversions. He wants to see that. It's a very good thing. He wants to be with his brothers. He wants to be um, preaching the gospel, but above everything. And and this is this is what comes up when he uh when he's talking about um to to live um as Christ but to die is gain how can right. you say that you can only say that if you have these priorities you want to be with your brethren but you want to also be preaching the gospel but when you have above that the priority of i want to be with my lord and savior that is my ultimate goal that's my ultimate desire he's like brother i, I want to be with you but if I die, I'm the one that gains because I get to be with my Lord and Savior. And I think that is just such a beautiful example of the heart of a missionary. Of He's got his priorities in line, man. He, he's, got, he's got it lined out. He knows above all else, uh, I'm going to see Jesus. I want to take as many of you with right. me as possible, but I want to yes. see Jesus. Yeah, absolutely. And then just... Right off of the front cover, the church that Caesar couldn't shut down, how Paul prepared the church in Philippi to stand against the attacks of the Antichrist. When I saw that, mm. and I believe it was our friend uh, Joseph Perez that shared the book on, on a story. Oh, awesome. And awesome. He's, he's actually been on the podcast before, too. Um, and he's a great guy. Excellent, excellent leader, excellent pastor. And we had a great, great conversation. And we didn't really talk about the book, but he posted a story about it on his Instagram. And it jumped right out just simply because uh, Philippians is one of my favorite books, along with a, mm. a, a few others. So I just had to get it. So with that, why is it that Caesar was unsuccessful in shutting down the church? And what makes the church so impossible to destroy? Mm. Man, I'm going to try. I'm going to try to find this very quickly. There is a. Um, I th- is this it? I think. I think so. You would think I would know everything on every page of my book. On <laughs> um, page one thirty-seven, this is a hardcover version. I don't. I don't know if it's the same in, in both of them. It might not be. Um, but in part three, uh, I think it's the last chapter. Uh, this I, I, I put a quote in here. Yeah, from Barry Strauss from a book called Ten Caesars, um, and he's talking about. Um, and this isn't even a book about the Christians. It's about, it's about Caesars and about the obsession that Nero uh, garnered in his lifetime uh, to try and destroy the Christians. Uh, and th- this, is, this is what he says. Um, this is from 10 Caesars uh, by Barry Strauss. This is what he says. He says, neither food nor drink nor sex could speak to the soul's needs as religion could. So back up just a little bit. So Nero's entire thing was revitalizing the hedonism of Greek culture. He wanted to control and sedate the population by bringing back the Greek games, by bringing back the Greek entertainment. He, he, that's what he was trying to do to, um, to sedate his people. So, so Barry Strauss says this, says, neither food nor drink nor sex could speak to the soul's needs as religion could. Perhaps Nero saw in Christians a challenge that he couldn't defeat. And so he tried to destroy them. And I think that quote beautifully shows both why he wanted to and why he couldn't. Cause he, in, in this, in this scenario was a representative of, of the lust of the flesh of the push yeah. of antichrist right. of we are, we are promoting and tr- 
trying to get you to buy into a lifestyle of sensuality, a lifestyle of entertainment. But what they found was that those things could not satisfy the soul. And he says like religion could, I'm going to say like a relationship with Jesus can. And so that is the challenge that the world wants to destroy us because they know they ain't got nothing on us. And my, and that's what that right there is why I hired a really good editor. So Mm. things like that didn't end up in the book. (laughs) They they can't stop that because they can't compete with it. That's why they want to destroy it, but nothing they have to offer will ever be as good as a relationship with Jesus as being born again. There's nothing the world has that can touch that. Absolutely. And we've seen from time and time again, and just before I let you go, we've seen time and time again that the church has proven his relentlessness in in so many facets throughout century. We see it through history. And you you put it very eloquently in the book uh, through history with all the examples. We see the relentlessness and it's not defined by the buildings. And absolutely, Mm. the church is still alive today, live and well. And what is it that you would tell, um, what, what is it your, your, your most important advice, I would say? What is your most important advice to Christians today? And any last closing remarks about anything that we've talked about as well? Absolutely. So if the church is only a building, when locks go on the front door, it ceases to exist. But when the church exists in something that's more than just a building, it exists in the hearts, the souls, the, the minds, the, the desires of every person who makes up the church, that's something that you can't shut down because you, you kill one person, you, you silence one person, and the next one's going to go find a convert, the next one's going to go spread the, the, the good news of Jesus. So this, this is what the advice I would give to every young person listening to this podcast is do not get distracted by what's going on in this world. They they can't stop the church. They can't shut down the church. They're going to try and they've tried for a really long time. They cannot do it. Live for God, pray fast, study the word, make heaven your top priority and make taking someone else with you your top priority. Jesus coming back soon. I, I believe that we don't have a lot of time left. And I believe it, it's, it would be a good thing for all of us to look to what the heart of a missionary is. We, we talked about it just a couple of minutes ago. And I think it's such a great way to kind of wrap up here. Be with your brethren. That's a good desire. Win souls, go reach this world, but keep your eyes focused. I want to see Jesus and I want to see him face to face. Absolutely. This is such a phenomenal book. And this is what I want the audience to do. If you have not gotten your hands on it yet, there's going to be a link below in the description where you can simply click on it and go buy it, but not only buy one book, I'm going to go buy my, I'm going to go back myself and buy a couple more and I'm going to give them away because I think it's such an interesting read, such a phenomenal read that a lot of young adults and and really anybody, pastors, leaders of any kind should really get their hands on it. And if people want to get around and maybe huddle up and, and, and into a group and talk about it, I would love to see the shares and what would happen with the inspiration that comes out of it just simply by sharing 
sharing and reading the book. And I myself, Jordan, I'm going to leave it out on my, my coffee table, on my kitchen table. I'm going to leave it out and about in the living room so it can be a conversation starter uh, when people come by and see it because that title just simply jumps out. It's such a beautiful book, great cover, uh, great picture on the front there. And there's so much to talk about it. And we could go on and on. I want to thank you so much for being so gracious with your time. Thank you for investing in such a tremendous resource. And it's going to, it's been very timely. It's been uh, such an inspiration to my life. And I know that it will be to so many others. And where can people find you on social media? Where do you spend most of your time there on social media? What platform do you prefer? And where can people find the book? Yes, sir. Well, man, it has been an absolute honor and a privilege to to talk with you for a little while tonight. I, I've really thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. I'm, I'm thankful for- Likewise, brother. For- for young men and young ministers coming up who, who want to get conversations on the record for, for other young people, like we're talking about earlier, who uh, maybe don't have access to that person they would like to get access to. So, man, I, I so appreciate the work that you are doing and having these, these conversations and making this available for people, man, keep, keep it up. This is one of the most, you've been one of the most prepared people I've ever talked to about something like this. So what, what a wonderful job. Um, but as far as, as finding the book, you can, you can find it on Amazon. Uh, you can just search for the church that Caesar couldn't shut down. Um, you can also find it on my website, uh, www.jordanpfry.com. That's J-O-R-D-O-N-P-F-R-Y-E.com. But I bought multiple other names with, with, uh, different variations of spelling my name because, my parents messed up the spelling of my name when I was born. So you'll, you'll probably get there. Um, I will say if you go to that website, I also have made my teaching notes when I taught this series available um, just for free download on the website. Um, I did clean them up a little bit so they were actually legible and you could figure out what was going on. Um, but that's available on the website as well. Uh, and if you check back, hopefully um, by the time that this podcast, I believe this is going to air um, sometime in October. I don't want to yes, you know, date, date it um, by throwing the dates and, and whatnot out there. Um, but hopefully by the time this airs, I will have started production on uh, the audiobook that is going to uh, accompany this work. And uh, my plan is to make that available for free on my podcast. I'm going to release it um, chapter by chapter as I record it. Eventually, it'll probably be on Audible or, or whatnot, but I want to make that available as a free resource on my podcast, and you'll be able to find that through my website as well. Uh, as far as social media, I, I am on Instagram, on Facebook, uh, at Jordan P. Fry. Uh, I don't post very often. I, I um, get on long enough to log into our uh, church account and post a few pictures, and then and I'm off. So I, I try and post every now and then, but, um, and I think actually I did that to you, my brother. I'm so sorry. I'd, you had messaged me and I didn't have notifications on. It took me <laughs> a little okay. bit to get back with you, but if you message me or reach out to me on there, I, I'd love to talk um, with anyone. I'd love to hear your feedback on the book and I promise I will eventually <laughs> get back with you. Um, but yeah, you can find me there on Instagram or on Facebook at Jordan P Fry. That's J O R D O N P F R Y E. Absolutely. And at least on our end, we're going to continue sharing it wherever we can. And I know it's going to be a tremendous inspiration and a blessing to so many people. And it's such a great book and I really can't talk enough about it. So thank you for that. And thank you for your time tonight. And Jordan, it's been a blessing. I've had a lot of fun tonight. Thank you so much. Yes, sir. God bless you, my brother. I love you. 
Hey, I want to thank you for being part of our conversation today. In the description below, you will find links where you can connect with Jordan P. Fry. If you enjoyed today's podcast, go ahead and subscribe so you don't miss out on anything. Also, if you would like to contribute in helping us reach others, I invite you to do so simply by leaving a good rating. Feel free to leave a review or even share it on social media. And that would mean so much to me. And in the meantime, I'd love to hear from you. In the description below, you will find the links where we can connect. And let me know how this was helpful to you. You can also visit my blog page where you can find more helpful content like this, inspired2inspire.org. That's inspired, the number two, inspired.org. And for now, continue moving forward in the direction God is leading you. Continue taking steps closer in becoming who God has intended you to be so you can be impactful in every area of your life. God bless, and we'll see you on the next one.